definitely invest in the kids, even though you're only going to be there like eight weeks or something, like get to know their names as quickly as possible. Talk to them, meet them where they're at, like just ask them things like, what are you listening to? Or, you know, but um, I had one student teacher who at the end of her time, she like hand wrote each kid a letter and like put it in their folder. And like, until they graduated, these kids would talk about this student teacher, like, because they could feel how much she cared for them, even in their short amount of time together. And so, um, I think it's a really great time to learn how to, how to build relationships, um, with kids, with all different kinds of kids. So I, that's where I would put my focus. I wouldn't put it so much on like, I'm going to come in and do my thing and teach everyone what's up. And, but I would really kind of put the focus on like learning how to build those relationships. Welcome to The Choir Baton, a podcast designed to engage with people and stories, ideas, and inspirations stemming from choir. No other art form No sport, no hobby, no business requires a group of people to execute a communal goal with just their voices. Join me, your host, Beth Philemon, as I interview guests who are singers, teacher conductors, instrumentalists, and community members. Together, we'll ask questions, seek understanding, and share insight from our experiences in life and in choir. Carbaton community, I am, I'm going to say it again, saying it like as soon as Becky's face popped up, I kind of nerded out because um, I, I don't know if you know, even how long I've been following you a while. Um, And we have Becky Park on Poshmark with us today. (laughs) Hello. Hi, hi. So if you are not familiar with her, you need to just pull out your phone right now and follow her. Um, and we'll explain why and how later, but, um, you know, I have been a social media fiend forever and following hashtags. I feel like before even a lot of like before the choir teacher hashtag was even a thing. I didn't and, even know that was a thing, but okay. Well, you've ha- I mean, I don't know if it's a thing thing, but like, oh, you can follow hashtags now sort of thing. And I think that's how I found you um, a couple of years ago. And you don't to what we were saying right before we started, like, you don't post a ton about choir all the time on that but you do occasionally Mm -hmm. and I was so captivated because you were this I won't swear but you were this really great choir teacher and you clearly passionate about that but you also have this whole life of an entrepreneur reseller businesswoman like that you're also living authentically and I was like you're my people oh well thank you I try yeah (laughs) So tell us, I mean, there's even still so many questions. I don't know where, actually, I don't even know. Where are you located? I am in Champaign, Illinois. So my school is like four blocks away from the University of Illinois, um, Champaign-Urbana, which is where I went to school. That's where I went for my undergrad. And um, that's where I got my second master's is at the U of I as well. Okay. Well, for some reason, I've been thinking that you lived in Texas for whatever strange reason. And you recently posted a video or posted on your Instagram stories that your kids were playing in snow. And I was like, I clearly have this all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But so tell us a little bit. Let's, let's be a little different. Tell us what is like Becky Park on Poshmark? Like, what is this whole world? And then we'll find out that like musical background and, and then how they all intertwine. But like, what, what is this world you live in? 
I, yeah, I don't even know how this happened, but um, I think it was like pretty innocent at first. It was just very like, I think, you know, like a lot of us do, we'll clean out our closets and we'll have clothes. And um, when I was younger, I would take clothes to Plato's closet and they'd give you like a quarter for like a shirt or something. And I was <laughs> like, okay, well, I may as well donate it at that point. And I mean, I would donate stuff too, you know, to places like Goodwill and stuff. But um, I think I had been teaching for a few years and most of my clothes were from places like J. Crew and Banana Republic. And they were like nice things. I just wasn't wearing them anymore and I wanted more than a quarter. So I was like researching online, trying to figure out, is there another place I could take my stuff? And then this um, app called Poshmark popped up. So I looked into it briefly. I listed a few things. I think it took like two weeks for my first thing to sell, but I was like instantaneously hooked. And I'm the type of person, like I get interested about things really quickly. And then I just am all in like right away. So I started like just watching YouTube videos on how to sell more of my stuff on Poshmark. And then I just fell down the rabbit hole of realizing that there was a whole community of people who not only sell on places like Poshmark and eBay, but that they like make a living doing it. Right. They go like thrifting and then sell the, you know, stuff that they've thrifted. And um, so, I mean, it really just started with like me selling, you know, the stuff from our own house that we just weren't using anymore. And then, you know, I think I like first started on Poshmark in December of 2017. So here we are like three years later. And since then I have um, added other platforms that I sell on. So I also sell on like eBay and Mercari and different places like that. Um, I like created an Instagram solely for reselling because I didn't want to clog up my personal Instagram with like you know, just like people who I don't know in real life, but like the result is I don't even visit my old Instagram anymore. Like I just do all my personal stuff on my like reseller account. Cause I don't really care. And yeah. then I started a YouTube channel to, um, kind of share any knowledge that I had picked up along the way with people. And it's, I still can't really believe that I'm like doing any of this stuff. Like it just seems so surreal. <laughs> so that's, I mean, and when you say like doing, um, doing an Instagram or even doing like a YouTube channel, um, we're talking 15.9 thousand subscribers on YouTube yeah. and Hi, si oh, there's, there's your, oh, I was there's like, there's a video. Oh gosh. I had it. There you go. So go check it out. Um, and your Instagram is 19.1 thousand followers. So we're not talking like a lot, like there's a lot of people, Becky. Yeah. I mean, it started small, you know, just like anyone else's. I started with no followers and I just kind of, yeah. 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 Time will do so, that. I, guess. I mean, and now I, this is going to be potentially really embarrassing because you're going to hear how much I follow you. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited. Like, your, I mean, your videos are banging also. Like I like learn stuff. I'm like, oh, and I see, I'm like, yes, she's doing that. And I mean, they just, they are the kinds that like come up on the ads on your YouTube. And I'm like, oh, but I know her and she's a choir teacher. <laughs> um, but then also like you have a space in your house that is, I mean, you categorize your clothes into bins and, and you do a ton of tracking with it all too. It's no longer picking up a couple of things at Goodwill and throwing them up online. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, when I get excited about something, like I went through, I've gone through so many phases. I've gone through like a couponing phase. I like bought the binder and like the sleeves and like, you know what I mean? I went through like a home DIY phase. We have like a shiplap wall on, you know, I mean, like we, I go through things and my husband was like, oh my God, this is going to be like a four month thing. And you're like putting all this money into it. And I was like, no, this is for real. <laughs> like, but um, yeah, I mean, I think he's been really shocked by how consistent I've stayed with it and how much I've grown with it. I think it's funny that you think I'm organized. Like I, it's organized for me, but like everyone who knows me knows I am a mess. Like at one point my husband was like, do I need to just manage your inventory for you? And I was like, if you could, that would be, cause like, I feel like every other week I'd be like, I can't find something. Like something is lost. I'm going to have to cancel an order. Like, you know, and even at school, my kids know, like, like I'll start most classes with like, okay, don't let me, like, we can't end class before we blank. Like they just, cause I know if I don't tell them stuff like that, if I don't get reminders, like we're done for, you know? So I'm a mess. Uh, that I identify so strongly with making sure kids remind me to do something because I won't remember. No, no, not at all. Like I just sent out for the new semester, I sent out emails. Um, Cause you know, there are some new kids in each class or something. So I sent out emails with like the new zoom links and um, Google classroom links. And one kid texted me like five minutes after and was like, you sent out the wrong class to our class. And I'm like, cool, cool. I, I never get things right on the first email. So there will be um, an addendum coming. Like I just, I'm not capable of keeping things straight, but the kids show a lot of grace. They just know it's a part of who I am. And it just, it is what it is. I, the, yes, I, I did. I can't. <laughs> I could oh yeah I just get it I mean I one yeah anyways I could cite personal stories but it doesn't even matter because I want to know more about you okay so how like who are you where are you from why music Ed? tell me all the things yeah um well you guys can't see me on the podcast but I am Korean American and with that came like piano at a young age and um I think I started playing piano when I was four I started um like playing cello when I was eight and when I was nine, my mom had me join um, a children's choir. It was in Chicago. We were living in like the Chicago suburbs at the time. And um, I was in that choir from ages nine to 12. And it was um, mainly Korean kids, like Korean American kids. Okay. The director, when I joined at the age of nine, I think she was 18. And she had taken, she had taken over that choir when she was 16. And she took us on tour to like Korea and Thailand when she was like 19 and then took us to Europe when she was like 21. Um, her name is Josephine Lee. She's the director of the Chicago Children's Choir now. <laughs> she was like the youngest person to be in that position and in that role. I think she's like the artistic director or something. I mean, she was like a prodigy and I've still to this day never been in a choir as good as the one that I was in with her. I mean, we were singing like by Mozart when I was like nine years old, like I was singing Latin. I was, you know, and it was, um, yeah, I mean the best choir that I've ever been a part of. And then, uh, she kind of like stopped because she was basically working for Chicago children's choir. And then, um, I moved to St. Louis. Well, okay. Sorry. 
for middle school, I like tried joining choir because I was like, I love choir. And I knew since I was 12, I was like, I think I want to be a choir teacher because of her example. And um, I joined choir middle school and they were singing like Beauty and the Beast and like two part harmony. I was like, this is a joke. <laughs> like, I can't do this. I was like, you know, so I just stuck with orchestra. And then we moved to St. Louis right before I got to high school. And I kind of had to make a choice because you couldn't do both orchestra and choir. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give choir another shot. Like best decision I ever made in my life. My choir director was like my second father. And high school was hard for me. Again, like I am Korean American, but I was not like the stereotypical Asian kid who like did really well in school. Like I'm pretty sure I have ADHD and it was just never like, you know, discovered. <laughs> I never got like tested or anything. Um, it was just really hard. I like skipped a lot. I just was not like a good student, but choir and like acapella and vocal jazz, like that was the only thing that really kept me going to school, I feel like, you know? And so it was a really good experience. My teacher knew that I wanted to teach choir. And so he like just mentored me and like he like let me conduct like our choir classes. He let me like write music for, I mean, he was just like so amazing. Like we're still buddies to this day. But um, so then I <clears throat> went to the U of I for my undergrad. I was again, just an awful student. I don't even know how I got in first of all, but then second of all, like I was just awful because the whole time I'm like, this is like what they are teaching me is not what I want to do. Like none of this applies in any way. It just didn't seem real. So it was, you know, very much the same thing. Like I just didn't really go to class very much. Like I remember my junior year, I like showed up on the first day and my classmates like applauded me. And I'm like, you guys can suck it. Like I just, you know, they just were like shocked that I was still around and it was hard. But then I think it's when I finally started teaching um, and I taught in kind of this, like, I don't know, the area that I live in is just really interesting because it's, it's very diverse, but it's also very low income, but I taught in like this weird town, maybe like 45 minutes away from the U of I. And, um, I would say like, yeah, just very low income. I think like over 70% of my students were on free and reduced lunch. And, um, but I felt for the first time, like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, because it was like, I was interacting with the kids. We were making the kind of music that they wanted to make. And, um, a lot of, like a lot of what I had learned in undergrad was just kind of thrown out the window, you know, because it just didn't apply. Like, I think it was really good for kids who like wanted to go to the suburbs and, you know, teach in those kinds of settings. But like, I knew too, just from different experiences that that's not what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be in communities that I felt like needed me or needed good teachers, you know? So right. that's kind of my upbringing, I guess. <laughs> I, I love, I love that. Um, a, I, I completely identify um, with probably like not being tested ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that in and of itself, again, a whole other podcast, I think on women and how, and then women in music and how we can really excel, uh, mm-hmm. within that, but also, um, teaching in communities that aren't aligned to that textbook that yeah, we yeah. are taught by oftentimes in our undergrad settings is so important. How did you balance then, right? At some point you kind of developed a love for that teaching, but that's also not the Mozart Aviverum teaching that you're doing too. Like, how did you reconcile those two things that you love? So I think 
you know, so I was in that children's choir singing crazy music. Um, but I was like a normal kid. I think, you know, when I was in middle school, like my favorite albums were like um, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill and Jewel's Pieces of You <laughs> and No Doubt, Tragic Kingdom, right? Like it was very eclectic and like all over the place. But I think I was just drawn so much to songwriters who honestly told stories about their lives and so but yeah I I always really appreciated like R&B and hip-hop and I think like when I would sing you know starting in like middle school and high school because I was no longer doing stuff with like a choir per se so I didn't have someone telling me like you have to blend and your vowels have to be tall (laughs) you know like I could just kind of do what I wanted and they were kind of my muses and I just kind of developed my own singing style. So in many senses of the word, I'm like the worst choir teacher in that, you know, I'm always the person that's like, don't sound the way I sound. Like I sound crazy (laughs) because I just, I don't sound classical, but you know, like here are the principles you need to know about how to, whatever. Um, But I think in all honesty, that has helped me a lot within the communities that I teach in because I kind of bring my voice to the table and it is like heavily influenced by R&B and pop music and whatever, you know? And so um, like purposefully when I'm introducing a song, like I will not play a recording from like YouTube or something of like a choir singing it because the kids will get turned off by it right away because it's not their music, you know? So I'll kind of sing it with my like R&B tinge or like whatever. And then they're like, oh, I like this song. And then they'll hear a recording of it later and be like, that's not that's not what you sing for us. And I'm like, we're gonna do it our way. Like, it's gonna be fine. They just made it sound a little more sterile, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think that has helped a lot just kind of bringing kind of my non-classical upbringing but yeah I do still love a lot of the classics and I think that be I think because they can see that there are a lot of different sides to my musicality that it's okay for them to too and it's okay for them to explore um because I'm willing to also meet them where they're at as far as what they're listening to what they want to sound like and I'm not telling them that what they want to do is wrong you know I think that's what a lot of um I'm thankful because my my high school choir teacher wouldn't say that things were wrong either, you know, Um, but I've heard lots of stories or seen in action just teachers being like that's not even real music, why would we do that, or they do watch me whip watch me nay nay very in (laughs) choral. so you've got the two extremes right right yeah absolutely I. It's so funny. The girl that actually did the watch me whip, watch Nene Nene. Um, I've tried to get her on the podcast before because I know her oh. uh, more or less like through people, yeah. but I get, I, I could do, we could talk all on that. Um, because it's interesting how the kids be it. People can argue any which way. Right. But like for those very white Mormon kids, right? Like they sight read it and, and like dictated, learned how to dictate all the music from it. Um, and you know, again, we can argue all different types, not you and I, but I mean, we choral community, um, can talk about that, but again, it speaks to what you're sharing. It's like owning who you are and your differences and, and how that is so important. So have you been at that same school that you started at since? No. So I started at a middle school and I was there for three years. Um, and it was, it was, 
I, I really loved it. I love the kids. What I did not love was I also had to teach show choir. And to me, I just, it didn't make sense to do a show choir in that community with that group of kids because show choir is so expensive. And again, that's like another topic yep. for another podcast probably about like, whatever. But um, yes. So I remember trying to float the idea of what if we did like um, a musical instead, or what if we did like a gospel choir instead, like something that, you know, you can't major in show choir, like you can't, I mean, and people might argue like it sets you up for musical theater or whatever, but, you know, I was like, I just can think of much more cost-efficient ways to like get the kids to essentially do the same thing, but in a way where it doesn't matter how much money you have. You know, I think that's what killed me was like, you need a lot of money to have a good show choir and we did not have the money. I mean, I found dresses from like Forever 21 for the kids and other, you know, other schools that we were going against are wearing like $300 dresses and whatever. So, um, but I mean, it was a good like place to start. It was a really hard place to start, but it, it felt like if I could do it there, then I could do it anywhere, you know? And then I actually took a break from teaching for a little bit. And then I went back to like, the complete polar opposite and taught at a private Catholic high school for two years. Um, like, you know, the predominantly white students and I was the music teacher. So I taught choir, band, percussion, keyboard, guitar. And I walked into that band room being like, so, so what is that instrument you're holding? Like, which one is that? Is that a clarinet? Like, you know, like I just knew nothing. I'm like watching YouTube videos, holding a set of drumsticks, like trying to figure out paradiddles. Like it was torture. I was like, what am I doing here? But the kids again showed so much grace. Like one of the percussion kids who was like taking private lessons, like basically taught the class. And I was like, good job. Yeah. Yeah. Do what Matthew's telling you to do. Like, I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and it became, I feel like my classroom became, became a haven for the kids who were not white or did not identify as like a Catholic, whatever, you know, like there were a handful of like international students or, um, a lot of students from like the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so our choir became the most diverse, <laughs> like, you know, it's just like anyone who wasn't white was in choir and, and there were white kids too, you know, it's not right. like we were like, no, you cannot do it. But, <laughs> um, so even though it, it seemed like a very privileged, very like white place, it still wasn't necessarily, but, um, and then I moved to um, the high school that I'm at now, which I don't know if I'm on my sixth or seventh year. Um, again, just very diverse. It's a public school and it's been great because we've been able to partner a lot with the U of I, which I now love and have like a great, you know, relationship with the um, music ed faculty there. They're amazing. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. I really appreciate you sharing how particularly at the Catholic school, your classroom became uh, that haven, right, for the non-white kids. And and even, I've, I guess I've thought about it before, but even in our conversation, like I don't know very many Asian conductors in the United States, mm -hmm. but just Asian female conductors. Mm -hmm. And then just based on my own stuff to pare down and say, Korea and Chinese, you know, and to differentiate as well, mm -hmm. that must've been, challenging even though your first musical example was Korean American yeah and I think that's what helped and actually like out of that small children's choir have come there's another um 
well, she's a woman now. She's a couple years older than me. She is a choir director at some, um, like she's taught at some really big Chicago suburban schools and she's great. Um, there, uh, another person like is a conductor within the Chicago Children's Choir. So I feel like because we had Joseph and Lee as our example, it was kind of like, oh, but this is normal. You know, like this five foot two Asian woman who can hear the grass grow and like, you know, like that's normal. And it wasn't until we went to school that we were like, oh, this is not normal. <laughs> like, right. There are not very many people who look like us or when we would go to like the state conventions or whatever. And we're like, oh, this is not, this is not normal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you're right. I think that like there, there aren't a lot of us and there aren't a lot of minority uh, music ed or like music teachers, especially maybe, I don't know, not necessarily, especially in the choral space, but in the choral space. And I think that even though like, so a lot of the students that I teach now, I would say maybe half of them, if not more are black and, you know, being black and being Asian is not the same thing, but being other is the same, you know, and I think we can relate to each other a lot in that sense. And so even though I don't perfectly understand their culture and they don't perfectly understand mine, there is a connection there that I think is somewhat instant in a way that maybe some other teachers don't have, you know, um, that and the fact that I can talk shop with them when it comes to like the up and coming, like, you know, whatever. Cause I care about that stuff too. You know, although as I get older, it gets harder. Like I'm turning into those teachers that are like, Oh, what you're listening to is just noise. <laughs> the kids who are like, Lil Yachty is my favorite rapper. I'm like, he doesn't even rap. <laughs> like, <you laughs> know, I'm like turning into one of the, or they're like machine gun Kelly is, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? But so as I get older, it gets harder, but um, yeah, I think it does help being in more diverse communities, being um, a minority myself. Right, right. You also then have, and we were talking about, you know, like, oh, where would we be in the future kind of before we started, but you've done two master's degrees as mm -hmm. well, right? Are they both in music or? No, one is in curriculum and instruction. It was honestly kind of one of those, like you pay the money, you take some tests, they give you a degree. You know, it was just yeah. kind of like to move up on the pay scale. And because I'm so close to the University of Illinois, we get student observers all day long and student teachers, and they have a really great system where you can build up your um, credits or whatnot, and you can basically essentially get your master's program for free, which is what I did. And I think that's the only reason I even went back to school. I feel like in many ways, school is like very traumatic for me. <laughs> and I just never envisioned myself um, putting myself through that again. But my master's at the U of I was such a meaningful experience. And it just, I don't know, I felt like it was so much validation of like what you're doing in the classroom is right. Like that's the direction we need to be going in choral music ed. And I would like leave classes like crying because I was just like, oh my gosh, like, okay, like I can get on board with this, you know? Um, and there are some amazing professors there, like, you know, Adam Cruz, who's like my, I, I mean, he's like my bestie. I love him. He is, he's kind of in that same field as Evan Tobias, where they're doing um, kind of more like popular music in music ed, that sort of thing. Um, Bridget Sweet. Yeah, there are some amazing people there now who are doing some amazing things. So it was a great experience that I never thought I would have. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, you, the whole first part we talked about, like what a struggle yeah. it was. And yet like how 
freaking empowering to walk back not once but twice even yeah. though the first degree was what it was yeah 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 and I mean so much so to the point that you know I would I, I've like sat down with some of my professors and talked about like is there even a possibility of like, should I try to go back to get my doctor? And I, it's still so up in the air. I don't know that it's something I necessarily need to do, but it has kind of, um, oh, I can't think of the word, but yeah, I mean, I've like regained my faith in higher education. Cause I think for a long time, I was just like, who needs college? <laughs> like, you know? Um, yeah. So it, it, it's been, it's been great. I'm glad that I was able to go back and kind of shift my view on college and education or even the fact that sometimes we can't always change that but like that sense of empowerment I feel like even in you retelling that story that you are amazing enough to make that change and to be that teacher in an academic setting that you wanted when mm -hmm. you were an undergrad mm -hmm. like you you can own that change too which mm -hmm. I think is so cool yeah 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 wow I I love, I didn't realize or put it together it makes total sense that being so close to the university, you get a lot of student teachers and observers. Yeah. yeah. What, what is that like? It's great. I mean, you know, you, you get a wide range of student teachers, some who are <laughs> phenomenal and some who need a lot of help. Um, my students for the most part do pretty great with student teachers. And I've, been lucky for the most part to get student teachers who I've been able to like build relationships with just from when they were coming in um, to observe like in their maybe um, underclass years and then when they become seniors it's like I've, I've at least like seen them before and they understand my style so like no one's like shocked I think the one student teacher that maybe it was a little bit of a struggle was like she didn't really want to be a music teacher like she was just doing it to have something to fall back on she wanted to sing opera and my kids could not understand why she sounded the way that she did. Like to them, it was just like nail scratching on a blackboard, you know, like, oh my God, like, please make her stop singing. And I was like, she's actually really good, but like, this is just not your cup of tea. So it's been great. I think it's been good for me too. Like it pushes me as a teacher. And I think, I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of them, I still have really great relationships with, and they're off doing their own things. Most of them are teaching. Some of them aren't, but, um, yeah. I, again, I never thought I should be allowed to like oversee someone's student teaching experience. I was like, uh, are you guys sure that you want me to do this? Like I might screw them up. Um, but I think it was really good too, to kind of throw them into the wolves den a little bit of like, you know, my kids are not amazing at sight reading. They're not amazing at like a lot of things. And I think, a lot of schools out there are kind of teaching you to step into these programs where like everything's on solfege and every kid can, you know, whatever. Um, and on top of that, my kids are very rough around the edges, you know, like the number of times I've gotten cussed out for things that were not my fault or, you know, and kind of talking my student teachers through that. And again, telling them like, if you can handle this though, like you can handle anything, you know? And at the end of it, like, these are just broken kids, just like we're all broken people. And if you can get to the heart of like why they're hurting and kind of meet them at that human level, not only are you going to be a great teacher, but like just dealing with people in general, you know, like you're going to be much better at that. So, um, and the kids just wear it more on their sleeves. They're just not as good at hiding it. So I think it's, it has been a good experience for them for the most part. And for me, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I could not agree more, right? Where we send these kids off to these picturesque choral programs and it's, they have no actual real world experience of when you get cussed out and that, you know, that I, I laugh to think of, I would never be cussed out. And, you know, I've been cussed out by a sixth grader before for telling me to not walk outside yet. Like that's real life teaching Mm -hmm. that we've got to be authentic to, you know, up and coming students about that. What tips do you have? Because, you know, we have a lot of kids that are new teachers are going to be student teachers or are student teaching that listen to the podcast. What tips do you have for people in that situation as a student teacher? To like go into student teaching or mm-hmm. to yep. setting. Yeah. What has worked well? Like what have you seen the kids that you have observed or been their mentor for in student teaching? What are uh, recommendations you have? Yeah. I think it's good to kind of, you know, there's always an observation period where you're just kind of seeing what the tone of the classroom is already and what the um, teacher's style is. And I think it's good to examine those things and understand that student teaching is hard because it's not your classroom and these are not your kids. And if you go too far outside of what the teacher is already doing, especially if that teacher is respected and loved, um, you will get backlash. You know, sometimes student teachers come in and they're like, I'm going to shake things up. And I'm like, nope, nope, this is not the time or place for you to do that. Like these kids have no loyalty to you. Like um, it's a good time to like try doing things in the style of the existing teacher even if it's not really how you would do things but to kind of just see like what is that like you know and to pick up on different you know things that the teachers are doing that works well Um, but I think and it, it was hard for me because when I student taught I student taught at a middle school and then a high school And in both situations, I was like, hmm, like, I don't know, a lot of this is not necessarily the way that I would do things. And um, it was just good then for me to take those things with me when I went into teaching myself and kind of make sure I didn't do those things, you know, but it's hard to like push the envelope too much just because the kids are already used to things a certain way. That Mm -hmm. being said, I have seen a lot of my student teachers build like really great relationships with my kids. So I would say like definitely invest in the kids, even though you're only going to be there like eight weeks or something, like get to know their names as quickly as possible. Talk to them, meet them where they're at, like just ask them things like, what are you listening to? Or, you know, but um, I had one student teacher who at the end of her time, she like hand wrote each kid a letter and like put it in their folder. And like, until they graduated, these kids would talk about this student teacher, like, because they could feel how much she cared for them, even in their short amount of time together. And so, um, I think it's a really great time to learn how to, how to build relationships, um, with kids, with all different kinds of kids. So I, that's where I would put my focus. I wouldn't put it so much on like, I'm going to come in and do my thing and teach everyone what's up. (laughs) But I would really kind of put the focus on like learning how to build those relationships. I've never heard someone give that advice before. And I think it is the best advice I'd ever. I, I mean, but because now more than ever learning how to build relationships 
in the era that we're in. And I'm not talking about like this digital, we're all teaching online. Cause at some point that will, yeah. will dissipate. But I, I do think boundaries, right. And unfortunately that is very difficult for young teachers to learn are the boundaries of are what are appropriate relationships with students. Like, how can I let them know that I care so deeply for them, but also not, I mean, get too close. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. That's so, that's powerful. Really powerful. Well, okay. So speaking of relationships though, clearly you've built really great relationships, not just with your students, not just with the university nearby, but I mean like literally within a whole entire online community. (laughs) And I, I mean, I see like a million different parallels. Um, but I'm curious, like, do you see the parallels? What, what are they? How has it all connected? Yeah, that's such a interesting question because I think at first glance you compare teaching choir to selling like used clothing online and you're like, well, there are no parallels. (laughs) Like, you know, you're just kind of like, you know, it is, they are two completely different worlds. I think, yeah, the, the aspect or like the act of buying and selling clothes, I don't know that there are very many parallels to that, but I think it's the space that I've entered into of like teaching people how to do it better on YouTube and on Instagram, you know, there are a lot of people who will leave me comments on my videos and say, I can tell you're a teacher because you explain things so clearly, or you explain things in a way that's fun to listen to. Um, And I think, so I, I mean, I think that's like one direct parallel. And I think too, what I've learned is how much people crave and um, desire authenticity, you know? So not just like from YouTube, like when people watch me and listen to me talk, like most, I mean, I'm a pretty chipper person. And most of the time I'm very like, ah, you know? um, but like when I'm down, like, I'm not afraid to show that. And I think with teaching as well, I think sometimes we feel like we have to put on this shell before we walk into the classroom and we have to act a certain way and you know we have to set the tone and this and that but I think the kids actually really appreciate it too like when you remind them like you're just human and sometimes you have bad days and obviously like not taking it out on them but being honest about like I'm not in a good space right now and especially if like you allow the students to be a part of like almost the healing process or like letting them know like do you know like you just help my day get better and giving them that power of knowing that they can do that for another person. Um, I think there's something powerful about that. And it's like so dumb, like when people leave me YouTube comments and you know, they say really nice things, like I'll do the same thing. I'm just like, I want you to know like you made my day with your comment, like it was very kind because it's a reminder of like, it's never a bad thing to put more kindness out in the world, you know, whether it's you're leaving a YouTube comment for someone that you'll never actually see in real life or, you know, a student who, as they're walking out the classroom is like, I hope your day gets better. And just being like, well, thank you for saying that, you know, like that really touched my heart. Um, I think understanding that authenticity is so important. And, and I think people crave it so much because it's not present as much anymore. I don't know. Um, so I think that's been a huge parallel that I've seen. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, And this is one thing also that I've learned from you um, with like my work, but directly related to what you post about are like, you get some real crappy comments and like mean people and, and like people that will buy stuff from you and like 
try to da 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 or like lowball you and and like a you're authentic in how you handle them, <laughs> which is real fun to watch. Um, but also, I mean, sometimes people are mean. Yeah, like you don't have nineteen thousand people, and I don't mean to be like, but I mean that is a large amount of people, and it's not everyone cheering you on all the time. Like, yeah, clearly being an educator has helped you on some level, but that's still hard. I would think it is, but you're so right. There's a huge parallel there too. And I think it's really hard when you're a young teacher, not to take it personally when kids don't like you, but you know, as you stay in the profession longer, you realize like you can't be everyone's favorite teacher. Like you can't be the best teacher for every kid because every kid needs something different, you know? And I think that that has helped me so much as I've entered into like a YouTube and Instagram space, just like social media in general, people will try to comment about like, you talk too much in your videos. And I'm like, I do, like, I talk a lot. You're right. So there are a hundred other people who are making content very similar to what I'm doing. 90% of whom don't use as many words per minute as I do, like go watch them then. Like I will not be offended. And that's what I tell my kids all the time too. Like even just today, it's like the second day of the semester and I had to remind them, I'm like, if last year or if last semester's choir was not your cup of tea, go be in a class that you wanna be in. And like, I'm okay with that because I don't want you to waste your time. I'm not gonna like be mean to you when I see you in person. Like, I'm not gonna judge you. Like, I want you to do what you wanna do. And I think it's important for kids to know that and not like stick around because of like guilt or because we wanna have these big, huge programs. I tell the kids all the time, I'm like, I don't really need you. Like if I have eight kids, but they really want to be here and they're going to work hard and they're going to be there for one another. I will take that over 50 and half of them don't actually want to be there, you know? So I kind of like remind them like nobody needs, like you're not doing anyone a favor by sticking around. If you're just going to be a body, like you can move along and I will still be cordial to you. And, you know, and so I, I give them that invitation to find what it is that they really want to do. And I had a kid yesterday who went to her counselor and was like, I don't want to be in choir. And I was like, thanks. Like, I will see you later. And I'm, I, I honestly am like a hundred percent fine with it because they, it's not something that they want to do with their time. Why am I going to force it on them? You know? And it's the same thing with like, if you don't want to watch my videos, bye. Like, It's totally fine. I'm not going to beg you to stay. There are a lot of other people who have the same kind of content and you can watch them and be mean in their comment section, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> And I think I've also learned like 99% of the time when people are mean, it has nothing to do with you. You know, I can't tell you like how many times kids have come in, they're like cussing me out or they're like upending tables and, and I pull them out in the hallway and I'm like, what is going on? And the things that come out of their mouth have nothing to do with me and my class. It's you know, what's happening at home. It's what happened in the locker room. It's, you know, and when you give kids that opportunity to like really get to the heart of what has been bothering them, then they can deescalate and they can kind of figure out what the source is and realize you are not it. Um, it's a little harder to do online <laughs> and right. it's a little harder to do honestly with adults because they're just so kind of stuck in their ways and um, unable to see some of those things as easily and readily as kids can. But, um, I, I just have to remind myself it 99% of the time I didn't do anything wrong. There's just something happening inside of that person. And I, I can't fix it for them, you know? 
So, right. yeah. I wish that I had heard that part of the interview like 10 years ago when I first started, because I don't think there's enough choir teachers talking about the fact that if a kid drops choir, it's not your fault. Mm. Like, and I think we place too much importance too much self-absorption, whether it's, you know, intentional or, you know, self-serving, but we do, we place too much impotence, not impotence. <laughs> well, that's something else. Um, but yeah, on like aligning our success as a yeah. choir teacher to the numbers of, you know, kids we have in a choir and, and mm-hmm. whether someone stays or leaves. And yeah. I love I I'm envious, not in like a sort of way, but I mean, I just, that I didn't have a stronger sense of that. Um, and even earlier, have you always been like that? Do you think, or has it been an evolution as well? I think it's been an evolution because you are kind of trained to think that the bigger your choir is the better. Right. And, um, your administrators are looking at your numbers to justify, you know, whether or not to keep you around and they will kind of identify success as who can rope kids into choir and keep them. Um, I, the school that I'm at right now, um, the, uh, up until probably this year, just, I, I didn't really have any sort of feeder program because of what was happening at the middle school. And that's kind of another story. So every year it was like, I was starting from scratch because if I did get kids from the middle school, they weren't really the kids I wanted. Um, and the kids that I wanted were already in like band or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, I, I think I've always been very relational, but I think it, I had to really kick it into high gear. And it was just you know, I had three choir classes, but there are eight periods and I would do like study halls. I would do study supports um, to justify, you know, my position being a full-time position. And I would just like love the crap out of those kids and like talk to them about anything. And I would get the weirdest kids in choir, like people that were like that kid sings. And I'm like, I don't know, but we're going to find out. <laughs> like, and the only reason they joined is because, you know, we had a relationship and um, I'd be like, you should join choir. And they're like, okay, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and some kids who, you know, were in choir for the wrong reasons, like kids who just wanted to show off or whatever. Like I had no problem pulling them aside and being like, this really isn't about you though. <laughs> like I need you to understand that first and foremost. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really ever have that many of those kids, but I'm also very lucky because I'm in, a district that really values the arts and they value kind of relationships as well. Um, and, you know, most years, my trouble choir, for example, I've had years where it was eight kids and I would tell those kids every year, I'm like, but do you know that like every time you guys get up there on stage, you blow the socks off of every person in the audience because they can't believe that you're able to put out that much sound. They are able to tackle the level of music that you're doing and it doesn't matter that it, and in fact like kids are gonna say next year like can I be in that eight person choir you know because you made it look so good um but yeah I think I think I always just wanted to I wanted to protect my space and I've started using that language with my kids and I'm like if you don't want to be here like please get out because we can't handle a cancer you know, just kind of spreading throughout, like it only takes one person. 
to be negative and just bring down the whole vibe of the group. And, um, you know, and there were some kids who were really talented who I did have to pull aside and be like, you are the cancer, (laughs) like either fix it or like you're, you're really kind of ruining it for everyone, you know? So, and I think there are, I think there are amazing choirs out there too. They're huge. The teachers don't know every kid's name. They don't know anything about them, but by God, they can get them to sing well. And that's great. And I don't, think that that's wrong. It's just not why I went into teaching. I don't even think I got into teaching for music. I really got into teaching to like build relationships with kids and music seemed like the best avenue through which to do that. Cause you can be with these kids for like four years sometimes, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. It, it, I've never had huge choirs. It's never bothered me. I don't even know if I would know what to do with like a hundred person choir. <laughs> like I would freak out cause I wouldn't get to know each of them individually and you know, but yeah. I mean, to your point, your tactics have to totally change because you can't look and know, you know, that that kid on second row, da, 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 you know, student A is going through this at home and this is why they're being this way. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it'll be better tomorrow, yada, yada, yada. Instead, you're looking at a section of people yeah. and having to diagnose musical problems, not personal problems. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, th- you know, I, I can do that. You know, I can say like altos, you're flat. I don't know, like to build a career around that for me again, would not feel very fulfilling. Ooh. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) More. This is why you're going to be on higher ed. And one day I just know, I just know it. Dr. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that is, we need to be asking younger teachers that, right? Like what is more fulfilling to you? Is it knowing the person or, you know, what uh, diagnosing or like understanding, I don't want to say the problems, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And I think too, you know, like one thing I tell my students all the time, especially when working in like that musical theater space, but I feel like the more I teach, the more I tell the kids, like, I could sit here and tell you where you're flat. I can sit here and tell you where your vowels are a little off. Um, I can tell you where to crescendo, but ultimately if you can like get into the character that you're supposed to be at this moment, it's gonna take care of everything. So let's focus on that, you know? And I think it's the same thing for choirs. Like you could spend all of your time and energy, like you said, diagnosing the different issues of intonation and rhythm and whatever. But at the end of the day too, I, you know, and I'm very thankful for my husband because it's not like he's an idiot when it comes to music, but he's like the average person. So I'll come home and be like, Oh my God, like that sounded terrible. And he's like, no one could tell, like no one in the audience can hear the things that you can hear. And I realize like audiences don't care about like a perfect musical performance. Like they just want to see kids connected with the music and giving an honest, and real performance, you know? So I feel like more and more, like I am spending less time on like, okay, here's the rhythm. Let's clap it again. And one E and a two E and a, but it's like, what are these words about and how does it relate to you? And if we can't make that connection, what are we doing here? You know, like who is going to care about the fact that we are singing this song? You know, Um, I think it was like two years ago, there was a huge fight at our school, like eight boys. It was kind of gang related. A teacher got pushed down. She was like bleeding from the head or something. Like the cops were there, all these arrests were made. Um, And I remember like 
trying to do class the next day and it was just, you know, really hard and whatever. And then, um, you know, it's like a few days pass, a week or two passes and you can kind of get back to normal life. And one of my, and we had a concert coming up and one of my students called the, no, the local news and was like, you need to come watch our concert because all you guys have been doing in the news is talking trash about our school and about these kids when you don't know their story and you don't know our school and who we are. So we want you to come to this concert and see what our school is really about. So they showed up with like their cameras and stuff. And um, that kid got interviewed. I was like, I don't really want to have anything to do with this. Like I just, I'm gonna, I am not good in these situations, you know? Um, and I remember one of our faculty members, it was a year later and he was working with my students on something. And he was like, that was the moment that I felt like as a school, we were able to heal was when you reminded us of who we were, you know? And I think just trying to remind students, like, it's not the perfect intonation that like moves an audience, <laughs> but it's like just being real and honest about where you're at and portraying that through songs. And, and you know, that's why I like song selection and stuff, you know, all that stuff is really important, but, um, I think that's where my focus has shifted a lot. Like I care too. like, I have ears, you know, it bothers me if like that one kid like cannot syncopate a rhythm. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Like, it bothers me, but I've grown to like care a lot less about that because no one cares, honestly, like the audience does not care and the kids don't care. That's not what they remember, but they remember singing for the news and kind of shifting an entire town's like view of them and of their school, you know? So. I keep thinking of this comparison and I, I hope that in me saying this, like it doesn't diminish any of what you do, but like it elevates the actual comparison. Cause when you were like, I sell reused clothes online and like, there's really no direction to, 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 uh, to teaching music. I get that, but from an outsider's perspective, like, cause that's your life. You live it every day from an outsider's perspective. And as someone that loves clothes and like loves a good thrifting find also, um, I think it's actually the same. <laughs> you find these like clothes that in some ways people have like discarded and I'm not saying your singers are discarded. Right. Mm-hmm. But like some people in the world would say they're used. I'm not going to buy them. Mm-hmm. And you, you just like, photograph it the right way or like know the right audience to put or like place to put it and like you know you know exactly how to market it for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word right and it is that it is valuable you are reminding people in the value of things that they have otherwise maybe forgotten about the value in or not noticed and um you do that both for the students and and also like with the students with music too right like this might be music you don't think is valuable let me show you how it is valuable and like mm. dust it off and point it this way and then also like with your students it's it's like you might think that they are the, from this school that is undergoing all this gang violence and blah, 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 but actually like this is who they are and what they do and there's value in this and and I want this to be a part of your life and that that's just a, a superpower I mean, if you put it that way, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's more interesting to go in and fix things than to like, just maintain something that's already perfect, you know, I don't know. And I mean, and perfect is its own problematic word too, but, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. And it's it definitely makes it harder. You know, it's harder to teaching is hard no matter what, no matter who you're teaching, no matter where you're at, because again, all people are broken. Everyone's dealing with something. It's just that some kids have been trained to hide it better, you know, but it comes out in different ways. Like it'll always come out, but it'll come out in different ways. And I think like just one of the skill sets that my kids, a lot of them don't have is just learning how to hide it. But in many ways, and that's something that a lot of my student teachers would say, especially when they student taught with me and then they had to go student teach in the suburbs, they were like, it's refreshing to teach your kids because at least they're honest and they'll tell you what they're really thinking versus the suburban kids. They're like, I know they don't like me, but they just won't tell me to my face and they won't tell me like what I can do to be better. I'm like, well, I guess that's one way of looking at it, you know? Um, but yeah, it is, it is more work. It gets very emotionally draining. And I think in some sense, like COVID has kind of been good for that in that like there's been a little bit of removal. Sometimes you can get too involved and too invested and, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is a dangerous line. Like you said, um, it can just it can get a little overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah, I wondered about that. It is that I mean, it's an it's such an emotional investment. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it is because, you know, you've gotten to, again, a lot of high school teachers get to spend maybe four or more years with their kids and it becomes, uh, you know, it's like they almost become like part of your family or something, but even that you get better with, as you do it more at learning how to set up some of those boundaries, like you were talking about. Um, but it does, it, it is hard. I see a lot of young teachers struggling with it and it's not just music. You know, I see, all different kinds of teachers, it, it's a struggle to find that balance. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, we're always changing, right. As educators, that's what we love about it. That's the beauty of education, but, um, it is sometimes that change amidst the emotional, uh, upheaval of anything. And then particularly after a year, like everyone has had that just, um, remind you of the challenges of being a teacher of any subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, Becky, it has been, it's, I mean, I feel like I know you. <laughs> Watching you, I'm like, it's so great to meet you, but like, actually I have like follow and um, I just, I learn so much from you um, on living authentically. For me personally, I have struggled to figure out my choir and sense of self, right? So I like lived, breathed, I'm not saying you don't, but like it's been all choir. And, and I recently, um, you know, left the classroom to pursue business and, but still feel very much so one in the same. And there have been people that have not understood like how I can have two loves and two passions. And, um, you know, just the example in that, that you have set, um, and you just show up authentically of this passion you have for reselling and your passion for choir, um, has been really inspirational to me. Um, so thank you for just being authentic online. I do what I can. I, and it's always still like, you know, it's like sometimes that's a persona that people want to portray too. you know, like I'm an authentic person. <laughs> like I have to be really careful too of like, I don't want it just a, to appear that way. And I think it's the same thing with the kids, but you know, people can smell that from a mile away. Like they can tell when you're actually being real or trying to play that part. But I try and I think it's, again, because it's what I wanted to see so much from people. Like, I just wanted to know, like, okay, cool. Like, 
you're a superhuman and you can, you know, keep your house clean and make a gazillion dollars and raise perfect children. But like, can you show me what a bad day looks like? (laughs) Like, can you just show me that you have one? (laughs) Like, you know, and I think because it's something that I crave so much, um, I want to make sure to put that out into the world because I feel like there isn't enough of it, you know? So if I can help show that and look dumb half the time myself, like I'll do it. I, I don't think, uh, looking dumb is, is ever a thing. I think you see it when you talk to your point, right? Like when you talk about the bad, when you talk on the one level of like this person left this really rude and hateful comment, um, and you show it and I don't even, I can't even describe like how you show it because it's not like, it's not pitiful. It's just authentic. Like that's the only way I know how to say it. Right. But on that level, but then also, cause that's the level that I know you on. Right. I don't know um, choir Becky until this conversation, which I'm digging. And I now know why I love Poshmark Becky, because like, I mean, the stories that you shared tonight about choir are the exact same and golly, we need more of them. Mm. And, you know, my hope is I I have like a few students who have gone on to study music ed or to study vocal performance and whatnot, but the hope is just that, um, by creating an emphasis on creating these like safe and open spaces where people can come together, you know, not necessarily kids who are exactly the same or have all the same beliefs or whatever, but that they can come together. And because there is enough love in the room and enough like acceptance that kids can make music with one another, because it's such a vulnerable thing to do to like open your mouth and sing. Um, the hope is that these kids will go out and create those spaces, whether it's in choral classrooms or whether it's in the business sector, like what you're doing or, you know, because I think, you know, that's the best way to kind of flourish and feel like I can be myself and that's okay. Cause it gets tiring to feel like you have to play a part. I think that's why undergrad was very hard for me. I was kind of trying to play this part, but, um, you know, I feel like a lot of music educators say, I just hope my students go on to like do music and appreciate music and find a community choir to be a part of. And I like know full well, like my kids are not going to do that for the most part, especially when they find out what people are singing in these community choirs. But like, really what I want them to take from our time together is like, how can you be a part of creating a space where people feel like they can show up as themselves and that they will be celebrated for it, you know? Um, and so just trying to model that and then, um, letting them experience what joy comes from being a part of something like that. And then, you know, it's go on and you do the same thing. If people want to get in touch with you, we'll link everything and all this stuff, but what's the best way to connect with you? Um, I'm probably most responsive, honestly, on Instagram, which I am Becky Park on Poshmark. Um, I'm horrible at email. So don't email me unless you want to wait like three years for me to, I will respond to people two months later and I'll be like, I'm so sorry for the delay, but I am not on top of things. Um, yeah, I would say just DM me because that little like red box on my phone gets irritating when they're like 15 messages or whatever, you know, the email one I can manage, even though it says like 200 and I'm like, eh, it's fine. I um, sent a message. I'm bad about it on all platforms. Uh, and I sent 
a message to a friend today and I was like, I can't believe it's been 11 weeks since I watched the video that you sent me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Exactly. I tell my kids, I'm like, they'll tell me something and I'm like, stop talking. You have to email this to me because I won't remember that we had this conversation and I will leave it unread until I deal with it. (laughs) Like letters of recommendation. I'm like, okay, so email what you just said to me and then bother me about this again in five days. Like I give them a timeline of like how to like make sure that they've captured my attention because I'm so bad at it. And they they know, you know, so I'll get a gentle reminder from a kid like, hey, I need my letter of recommendation (laughs) in two weeks or, you know, and they like have a countdown and they just know that's what you got to (laughs) do to get what you want from me. So you're literally saying strategies that, I, that I, I'm like, I want to send this. Uh, am I a former student of mine actually um, edits the podcast right now? Cool. So, um, like Maggie, look, you're not, I'm not the only person. <laughs> I love that you have former students working. I have former students who do like Poshmark related stuff for me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I just met with a student today about editing music video or music videos, editing YouTube videos for me because she's like so good. Like she would do vlogs about like acapella competitions and stuff and they would be so fun to watch. And I was like, could you do my videos? (laughs) She was like, yeah. (laughs) So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, better at it than I am. So it's like, it's their second language now. I mean, second language. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Choir Baton listener. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Choir Baton podcast. And before you leave, I wanted to remind you of all the ways that you can connect with Choir Baton right now. You can follow us on Instagram, watch this interview on YouTube, and we're putting out more content on TikTok and Facebook as I speak. You can also always check us out at choirbaton.com. On choirbaton.com, you'll find information for how to join the Choir Baton teaching membership waiting list or where to sign up for our newest online course, Revamp. The teaching membership provides teachers a framework and student-facing videos, worksheets, and assessments to how to teach choral music concepts related to musicianship. And Revamp is a two-hour on-demand course with a 40-plus page workbook of frameworks and guides to help you revamp your outlook to both planning your time spent planning for rehearsals and your rehearsal itself. This course is the first of its kind for secondary music educators, and even though it's centered within the context of choral music, it's really applicable for any music educator. As always, thank you for being a part of More People Singing with Choir Baton.